Good, <laughs> good morning. It's seven minutes uh, after eight o'clock. Glad to have you with us. Uh, we got Powderhorn Guns and Archery on board. Jared is in. Jordan is in. Brian is in. Uh, we got a full boat here. I'm going to start off not talking about guns. I'm going to talk about coffee for a minute. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it, how many of you guys have Keurigs at home? Me? Yes. Uh, how often do you replace them? About every year, it seems like. Yeah, all right. <laughs> so I had one just fail, and it was like, that's it. I am tired of buying these damn things. Brian says they're warrantied for a year. I just, I'm just giving up. I went out and bought, or my wife actually went out and bought a Nespresso machine. Ooh. Yeah. I'm going to tell you right now, the next time your Keurig fails, give away the pods that are left over and buy this machine. I'm telling you, it is the best coffee I have ever had. I have Re one. I've huh? never used it. <laughs> You've never, you got one and you haven't used it? No, it just sits there and I look at it going, yep, it's there. Oh, Get the pods. This Nespresso thing is... <laughs> they should be paying me to, to uh, <laughs> endorse their product. It is that good. Wow. It is just fabulous. All right. I guess we should go ahead and uh, and do what we're here for uh, and talk about guns because we got a lot to a lot of ground to cover. Uh, we'll talk about the 911 versus the M9 Beretta, Battle of the Best Combat Pistol. Uh, President Biden... He's passing a gun rule, or wants a gun rule, that will effectively ban private sales of guns. That's crazy-making, is it not? Um, but I'm going to start off with a, a state legislator who apparently um, showed his gun. This is in uh, Indiana. There was a, a, a bunch of uh, kids, I guess uh, they were anti-gun uh, indoctrinated uh, to hate firearms. And they went to the Capitol, and they get in an elevator with a state representative named uh, Lucas, Jim Lucas. Um, so, and they're, all, they're, by the way, from Muncie, Indiana. And they asked him about um, concealed carry. One of the kids asked him if he carried a firearm, at which point he pushed back his suit jacket uh, to reveal his his uh, lawfully owned uh, firearm. <laughs> oh, the response from these kids. Uh, one 17-year-old student uh, recorded the exchange uh, between Lucas and the students and a parent chaperone. My heart sank to my stomach. <laughs> yeah, I genuinely felt unsafe at that moment. And I really just wanted the conversation to kind of end after that. Uh, another student uh, told Lucas that people carrying firearms don't make them feel safe, but rather threatened. And so the exchange was uh, with Lucas. He said, okay, those are feelings. I'm talking facts. That's what this is about. This is about feelings, the student said. Well, people who want to kill you... Don't care about your feelings. That was Lucas's response. I, I got to love this, this exchange. Uh, so these kids were terrified. They couldn't wait. They actually were afraid he would kill them. That's, uh, this was, uh, it was as though all my previous arguments were just invalid because I knew that at any given circumstance, he could, he could end the entire conversation by choosing to end any of our lives. Snowflake, 
I just I just felt unprotected and unsafe. So apparently uh, th they really shouldn't have asked uh, him anyway because uh, he terrified them. So I'm going to ask you guys, uh, if you're in the same situation, would you show the pistol or would you just tell them yes? Uh, uh, let's go. Jared, you're first. I'm probably not going to show anybody my pistol. You know, that's that's like showing your deck of cards in in a poker game. It's not <laughs> happening. I almost thought you were going to say. So deck. did we? <laughs> no, I had the mute button ready. Oh. I was on it. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> Jordan. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, Brian. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. No. Yeah. Um, no. At the same time. You have to set that conversation up for uh, for success, and it sounds like it might have been set up for failure. I don't know. I I probably would not have done that either, but I would have admitted that I'm concealed carrying. Absolutely. Yeah, you can talk about it and uh, fade fade into it gently, but uh, in that environment, I don't think it benefits anybody to show. I mean, it's good to start the t conversation though. Is that is it a threatening move? Do you think that's why they felt so threatened? Because he showed them instead of just admitted? I think it can be. The movies portray it as such. Um, <laughs> oh, well, there you go. <laughs> and, and I'm serious. The, the movies all yeah. do. They portray it as such. If the, the bad guy, what's he do? He always moves his coat jacket over, and, and there's his, his pistol on his belt. And um, so that's, I mean, that's what the, I don't know, the entertainment industry has built it to be. So that's, therefore, it is. Therefore, it is. Yeah, they they uh, they're so they're so bad with firearms in the movies. It's uh, they're they're always being attacked with full automatic weapons. Yes, and with unlimited magazines and uh, there's just everything about the movies and firearms. Yeah, they never run out wrong. The one that always terrifies me. I always think if people watch this and think it's true, they're going to die. Uh, and I've talked about this. It's the stand behind the door of your car. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you can you can maybe go for cover, but it isn't going to protect you. Uh, and I I think well, if somebody doesn't know better, they'll think if I just stand behind the car door, I'll be safe. No, there's, there's soft cover and hard cover and concealment, and they're three very different things. Go ahead, extrapolate. Well, Jordan's probably the, the resident <laughs> expert on that. He, that's where his training it, has resided. If, if it won't stop a bullet, it's concealment. And if it will stop a bullet, it's cover. So if you're going to use your car for cover, get behind the engine block. <laughs> and that's okay, but we've shot 22s through, like everybody has, shot 22 through engine blocks. And they've gone through. And sometimes You shot a, a 22 through an sure. engine block? Yeah, remember, the, you know, the engine's a pretty big space. Even though we fill it up with a bunch of crap, most of it's not an engine block. So if you shoot 20 times through there, there's a good chance one or two of those bullets are going to make its way, bounce its way through, and come out the other side somehow. And most of them weren't completely intact, but they, you know, they exited the other side of the vehicle and hit our paper targets. And uh, it, it's it's crazy. And every once in a while you shoot one with a 45 and a 308, and it stops it. So it's just uh, not something you can you consider a, a, a strong cover option unless you had no other options. Yeah, it's, it's if you're going to use your car, that's it's the your best, best place. That's You'll right. pardon the expression. That's your best shot. <laughs> and get away from it. Back yeah. off the cover. That's the uh, hardest thing. Get yourself yeah. a little bit of distance and you'll help a lot. Yeah. So how would you address these kids who were so terrified? I don't know if he did anything wrong. You know, you think about 
especially if he didn't know that was coming, you're just you're just having a. If you think it's just a conversation, I don't know what led up to it. I haven't watched the video. But if you're just conversing with someone, it, you might not even think that that was an issue. You know, you kind of sometimes you just do things, and uh, you know after you did it, you probably would realize, oh shit, I probably shouldn't have showed him my gun. But uh, I don't know if you would have noticed that coming up to it. But yeah, normally you don't want to ever show a gun. I mean, it's pretty well known that some people. Not necessarily everybody's that scared about it, but some people get uncomfortable around them, and that's that's okay. They don't have to carry a gun. That's that's their right to not do that. But uh, yeah, it's that's that's a hard one. If you know, put yourself in that position. You know, the irony of this is they walk around uh, in stores, on the sidewalks, in the streets, and everywhere else, and there are probably uh, a dozen people a day they pass by that are armed, and they don't feel threatened at all. <laughs> well, we because don't know. Won't hurt us, right? Well, in their mind, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I I feel I, th- I think the guy had uh, he de- he demonstrated uh, testicular fortitude. Uh, I probably would not have done that that way though. I think I might have yeah. just said yes. Yeah, we. Uh, I'm a concealed carry permit holder. Yeah. That would um, be the best. That would be the best. Yeah, uh, because obviously these <laughs> kids were just poor kids. Terrified. Has anyone checked on them? Yeah, make, make sure their heart's still beating. <laughs> we get them a safe space. Oh man, that's crazy. Uh, did uh, we're going to talk about the shot show? Yeah. We are. Yeah, this morning we just we just finished up with the shot show, and man, it was uh, it was really incredible. <laughs> you know, a couple of years uh, in a row, um, Scott Van Kirk and I went out to Vegas for the shot show, and I was like a kid in a candy store. Uh, it's good that I, you know, didn't bring the American Express card that has no limit <laughs> uh, because I would still be paying off uh, a, a debt. But we'll find out because a lot of times uh, they'll they'll um, introduce a firearm at shot and you think, wow, I can't wait to get my hands on it. Uh, and then it doesn't it, it's not available for, you know, months. That has been the the. The consistent theme for many years, uh, the, the manufacturers were, generally speaking, unanimous in delivering the message that availability of product was going to be much better in 2024 than what we've experienced in the last couple of years. Well, we'll get more details on that during show and tell. Uh, in the meantime, we're up against the clock and have to take a break. When we come back, you have a semi-automatic. What's condition one? Do you know? Well, how about condition two? Condition three. Well, we'll discuss with the guys which is the way to do it. Which is the way to carry. It's Gary on Guns. Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. It's uh, Potterhorn Guns and Archery in studio this morning. Uh, the uh, conversation is uh, going to kick off in this segment about uh, what you know. what is condition one, condition two. If you've got a semi-automatic, especially if you have a 1911, and, and let me just point out, Jordan, that no, I was not around when they first made them. I, <laughs> You were a teenager that. by then. We know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dog. <laughs> uh, uh, condition one. Uh, that's uh, cocked and locked. One in the chamber uh, and, and the, uh, uh, the hammer pulled back and uh, the safety on. And it, as a, you know, a, somebody who really loves the 1911, that's how I carry mine. Uh, you guys agree that's the way to carry? Uh, kind of. Yes. yes. Let's just say yes. I'll always put exceptions on things, but let's say yes. Yeah, there are. I'm sure there are some sure. exceptions, but sure. For most uh, of us that are just carrying it for like a defensive concealed carry type thing, then then yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, well, you know, on the draw, you 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 can uh, drop the safety, and you're good to go. 
there's a round in the chamber. I don't understand any of the other conditions. Condition two, uh, which is, uh, I guess, you've got a live round in the chamber. But the hammer's down. But the hammer is down. So now you have to pull the hammer back, uh, which seems like a a bit of a chore if, if your life depends on the speed uh, with which you're able to get your first shot. It, so that that uh, kind of predates your striker fire guns. So all of your hammered, like the Beretta 92, double action gun. So since the hammer's forward, which is how you'd carry it, that's how I carried mine on duty. You know, hammer's forward, but you pull it out, you pull the trigger, it goes bang because that's a double action trigger pull. That's still considered condition two. But there's no safety, like on the 92Gs, which is what we would carry. There's no, there's no slide mounted safety, just a decocker. And so, yeah, it, it was carried in what you would call condition two. Doesn't exist for really for striker fire unless you have something that'll let down the striker, but that's a whole problem. Um, so it really is just for like hammered guns, like the the Beretta, the old Smith and Wesson, uh, was it forty forty six oh eight or I'm, I'm totally blanking on the numbers, uh, but th- those kind of guns with the condition two type carries. Condition three, full magazine, empty chamber. Um, that just now you're really adding some. <laughs> I mean, you're really slowing down the the motion yeah. here, aren't you? I, I, yes. For all of us, all of us uh, uh, cowboy Americans, yes. I will say I have trained with guys because other countries, their police officers cannot carry a chambered round. Uh, I'll use Sweden as an example. I trained with uh, one of the guys back back in the day, um, and he came over, and he was not discernibly slower coming from a holstered firearm that was in condition three, so an unloaded chamber, uh, pulling it manipulating the slide and letting that first round out come off he was faster than half the class slower than half the class but everybody was within a quarter of a second of each other so but he'd done it for 17 years so it's just a you know if you train to do it it's amazing how fast it can be but that's uh, a lot of training oh my gosh i mean if, if you'd started from that from you know when you first time you shot a gun it probably wouldn't even mean anything to you you'd be like well, well okay whatever um, just like if me trying hand. to use a red dot. I'm not doing that. That's that's silly. I don't need that crap. I do just fine because I've done my other one for 20-some-odd years. But, uh, yeah, he did it. But, boy, I tell you, it ain't, it ain't faster when I do it. Yeah, it's not, it's <laughs> not faster when I do it either. And if your hand slips on, on the grip, I mean, yeah. uh, you, you, you're <laughs> really slowing things down. Absolutely. So you got to have a really, really uh, good, uh, good grip. Yeah. Did you know there's a condition for... <laughs> is it with the slide off and using it as a nutcracker? Condition four is when the gun is completely unloaded with a full magazine oh. uh, nearby. So now... So Illinois that, laws. Okay, that, gotcha. <laughs> that's how we carried <laughs> rifles. That's how we carried rifles for a long time. Uh, especially when we started with some of the HK rifles um, that had plastic magazines. We could not carry the magazines inserted because it would actually break the lips of the rifles. So magazine and rifle were next to each other. Um, but, of course, that's not a defensive weapon at that point. So you don't have that that extra half second you need to, to load that up was not a uh, a make-or-break deal for that. Yeah, I, I don't think uh, I don't think I would ever. I mean, I'm, you might as well just about be completely unarmed. Right. Uh, condition zero when a chamber, uh, when a chamber loaded, cocked, and off-safe pistol carried on your person, you're extremely vulnerable to an unintentional discharge. If anything, from a fold of clothing to a finger press that, uh, on the trigger uh, to the rear as you slide it into the holster with the web of your hand already depressing the grip safely. 
no genuine expert will tell you that carrying a loaded 1911 that way is safe, period. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I just think uh, cocked and locked is the way to go. Uh, if there are others who can slam the magazine in there uh, it, within a fraction of a second or chamber around, uh, good for you. I'm just not there. Maybe, you know, maybe it's age. I don't know. Uh, question for you guys. Uh, the uh, 1911 or the M9 Beretta? Jeez. That's Is a that a tough question? Oh no, I know, I know the answer. Let's see what Brian and uh, let's see what Brian and Jared have to say. Oh no, no, no. Let's start with you. Uh, <laughs> well, I, gotta, I, I said like that, that was clever. I almost bought into that. <laughs> the uh, the Beretta is a the Beretta the Beretta <laughs> is a uh, is a is a much better uh, firearm for that. Oh yeah, let the hate start. Go ahead. <clears throat> I, I love my Beretta. I love my 1911. Uh, they have different purposes, in, in my opinion. Uh, my Beretta would be what I would take uh, to the range to shoot for fun and, and be at the pinnacle of my level of accuracy. Uh, I'd shoot my 1911s well, but I shoot my Beretta better. Uh, higher capacity, I, I just go down the line of things that I prefer about the Beretta over the 1911. Uh, but the, the look of the 1911 and the just kind of old-school cool, uh, it's... it's Hard to beat. All right, uh, I uh, I like the 1911. <laughs> I just, I, I, I'm you know on what? the other side of the aisle. I like my 1911, but I'm more of a 2011 kind of guy now. It's still got the 1911 style to it, but it has more capacity, so I can keep up with the Berettas of the world. <laughs> well, I the the one drawback and i pointed this out cuz uh I, I, it bothers me that a regular 1911 you know you're lucky if you get seven rounds uh but that double stack that i bought i can mm -hmm. keep up with uh, just about anybody and because my hands are that big it it's not a problem for me i think somebody with a normal sized paw uh might be struggling to grip the damn thing cuz it is big but um man i love it it's got everything i want it's uh, the trigger pull uh, the number of rounds, it just, it just works, and so I'm, I'm going to stick with the, uh, the 1911. But you guys are right; most people do prefer the M9. They think it's better than the uh, 1911. Very uh, quality gun. Very quality. Yeah, I went to the range. Took the whole family uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we went to St. Louis and went to the range. Took, I don't know, I probably had ten or eleven guns in the in the range bag when we showed up, and we shot through all of them. Uh, of every stripe, but a hundred percent, the one that everybody was was waiting for was my Beretta, and that's what everybody wanted to shoot. Uh, my kids, my wife, everybody wanted to shoot the Beretta because it is just the most forgiving and most fun, most accurate, and it just that's what they wanted to shoot. Period. Kind of neat that you had a you know some people will take their kids fishing, some people will go. Uh, take the family camping, you take them out shooting, and I think that's absolutely great. It was an awesome family fun night. Wow. We ought to talk about doing that. Maybe we'll do that next on Gary on Guns. Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Powderhorn Guns and Archery with us on Gary on Guns this morning. Uh, and so Jared, Jordan, and Brian are here. Uh, we got to change Brian's name so it starts with a J. Uh, that would just make this uh, much Jared. easier. <laughs> Dryan? No, I don't know. Uh, no, <laughs> that's not going to work. So we were talking to, just before the break about um, you taking the whole family out shooting. 
Uh, and for me, the place to go, uh, frankly, would be uh, Green Valley. But if you've got a lot of property uh, and, and you can accomplish it on your own property, that's even better. Um, but uh, where did you go? On that particular night, uh, it was December 20th. So uh, the weather was unforgiving and it was nighttime. So we went to St. Louis to uh, Range USA, which is on the on the west side of St. Louis. Really easy to get to. Beautiful facility up there. Uh, top-notch staff can't recommend it enough it's an amazing place yeah it's better than using your neighbor's backyard they they know they always frown on that here you know in the daytime i i have my own facilities and we're really fortunate to have a lot of public facilities that we can use yeah you mentioned green valley amazing amazing place um you know it's not 100 percent accessible to all but if you go through the membership process then uh then it's very accessible and accommodating uh, we got uh oh Rocky Fork Range, uh, north of town, uh, which has been completely redone, revamped, rebuilt, uh, much improved. Very. Um, it, it's actually a, a unbelievably nice public facility right here in our backyard. So we've got a lot of different places that you can go and, uh, and enjoy your firearms safely. Well, if you're a Second Amendment uh, supporter and uh, you've got a family, uh, you know, teaching the kids about uh, gun safety, uh, taking them out to the range so uh, they don't have to act like those kids in the elevator that we talked about at the opening of the program uh, in uh, in Indiana. Um, I think that goes a long way uh, toward uh, keeping uh, keeping them safe. It absolutely does, and I know that everybody in this room and most of your listeners would agree that um, early gun safety training for all of our young people and anybody who's unfamiliar, the earlier and more often you can uh, expose people, the better, to to good practices, safe practices, and uh, and eliminate any fear that they have in their minds and make them confident with firearms rather than trepidatious. Uh, I couldn't I couldn't support it anymore. Uh, if, if you just turn the radio on, I, refer, I referenced a, a story we opened the program with. It was about some high school kids who are anti-gun, anti-Second Amendment in the uh, state capitol in Indiana. They got on an elevator with a state legislator and asked uh, what he thought about concealed carry. And he said, you know, he flashed his jacket back and showed them. And then after that, the kids were just a complete wreck. They, uh, they, they couldn't... Uh, they almost couldn't concentrate. They were afraid he would shoot them. Uh, but I think if you do uh, what we were just talking about, take your kids out, expose them to firearms, uh, make them uh, understand that those those are tools uh, and, and uh, they're to be respected, uh, gun safety, then they won't be in an elevator terrified that a... a you know, somebody with a concealed carry permit is concealed carrying. Just saying. All right, let's move on uh, because uh, there's some uh, news from Gun Owners of America. They write, a federal judge held that California's required background checks on ammunition sales violated the Second Amendment, and they ordered California to stop enforcing the law. You if you can, uh, you know, have a firearm, uh, if, if the Constitution dictates that you have the right to own and bear a firearm, if you can't, if you can't load it with ammunition, you might as well just, you know, throw it at people. So, making someone get a background check just to get a box of ammunition, it seems like it's 
it's really not accomplishing it. Of course, most, most gun laws don't. Um, but it, it, it got struck down, and I'm glad it did. I don't think anybody should have to go through that to buy, a, to buy ammunition. Uh, and I don't know what they expected they could accomplish, except to make people walk around with a, a gun with no, no, no bullets, no ammo. Why would they do that? If you try to take the, uh, let's take the devil's advocate here, right? So the the one that we're not going to see. So if you are a guy that's just trying to get all these illegal guns, we know they can get the guns illegally, but but maybe they don't have ammo out there illegally. Maybe the guys that are selling guns only carry carry one box. So if we can prevent those bad guys from getting additional boxes, then everybody wins, and it's going to be a safer place. Of course, we can smuggle. <laughs> we can smuggle a, a couple thousand uh, uh, people across the border from. Uh, <laughs> south of california but they would never smuggle ammunition in there no no that's i'm no. sorry never that's mind crazy for, yeah just forget that Ludicrous. i even brought it up. yeah i know that's your government <laughs> entities always taking the side approach and you can't take the head-on approach it doesn't matter whether we're talking about this the uh, the way conservatives first started to go after abortion and try to attack it from the side and just make it well okay if we can't get that let's let's make it so that you can't have lead let's make it so that you can't build primers let's make it so that you can't do all these things and you attack these problems from the side and and uh, that's why we're all watching that's why we all complain loudly every time we see a little action from the side you go yeah we know where this is heading yeah and in california they just they just keep they just keep losing uh, they write these laws they get challenged in court they never seem to uh, to to come to the realization there just is no way around this uh it is the law we have the right um, and we also have the right to sell our firearms. If I, you know, if Jordan wants to buy a firearm that I have, or Jared, uh, I can do that. But if Biden's gun rule uh, goes into effect, maybe not. Did you guys hear about this? I yes, I was reading on that just the other I got yesterday. I think uh, so, I was reading on that. So how does that work? I don't know because you know a lot of it is. From what I've read, a lot of it's some conjecture about what may or may not happen. But even when they redid the 4473, I think in August was the last time they redid it. You know, they've added a couple questions. We've all talked about those couple extra questions that they've added. And both of those are intent of what are you going to do with that gun someday down the road? Are you going to sell it? And it asks, are you going to intentionally sell it to someone that can't have it? And ask you that in two different ways and two different questions. But it's vague. It's vague. And you know what is intent and what is knowingly and and these types of things can get uh, can get vague down the road. But when we saw that occur, that was kind of the first glimpse we got at maybe they're going to try to control and go after your your private party sellers. Um, you know, be going after FFLs. We sell a gun, someone commits a crime with it. Um, you know, we've seen them go after it, especially if it's a big crime. Um, we've seen that we've seen them go after the the dealer, the the manufacturer, everybody. So uh, I. I from what I was understanding is they're going to try to make it almost near impossible by regulating, hey, if you sell so many guns a year, and there'll just probably be a number. If you buy and sell, I'm going to, I'm going to make up a number. If you buy and sell five guns a year, so you bought them and sold them in the same calendar year, then you have to pay us and have an inspection and become an FFL dealer and meet all of those requirements. But that's how they'll do it if they do it. But how would they know? <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, I mean that that would require Tra some tracking very credit cards. Well, no, if I if if I sold uh, my firearm to uh, to Jared or Brian, 
uh, it would probably be a cash deal. Hey, I yeah. know these guys. I trust these guys. Uh, they want to buy my my gun, uh, and so uh, it's uh, five hundred bucks. Here's the cash. Here's the gun. They'd have no way of knowing. Sir, I'm not going to sell you my gun. I'm going <laughs> to give it to you, and you're going to give me a donation for this and, private entity. And they, <laughs> they start because there is, is there a list of all gun owners in America and the guns they own? No. But what are we required to keep in our store? We're required to keep those forms. They can look at those forms. And they've done this before, pre this, when they thought people were manufacturing. Like, uh, gosh, you, you hear about... Uh, we some guy orders seventy five lowers, strip lowers over a three month span. Gets them all shipped in, gets them. Well, what is he doing with them? We'll probably put them together and trying to sell them for a little bit of profit to make a little bit of side money. Well, that starts to become a, a problem. And back then, it wasn't a problem for he's doing it. God, we got to stop him. It was the government going, "Where's our cut? You know, you have a federal excise tax you got to pay. You got uh, you got to pay me for uh, for running an FFL. You got to do all this stuff." And th- so they've been going after that kind of stuff for years. But that's still another way they can see and go. Well, does this person really have 40 guns? Does this person really have 100? Has he not sold them? What's he doing with them? And or they find out after the fact, and it's just another crime they can hit you with. Now, yeah, but you, even if they uh, know that I have 40 guns, yeah. how are they going to get in to check and see if I still have all 40? <laughs> That's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Of course, yeah. some states, they do know. Some states, you have to get every transaction approved, um, whether it's private or not. You know, California and some of those states, you still have to have... You got your FOID card or uh, in in uh, Illinois, so there's still ways around it. But I, it'll be one of those things that if it does happen, it'll be interesting to see if they just already have a couple people they want to go after, and it just becomes an after the fact being able to add to charges. I I don't know, or if it's just for show, if it's just politicians trying to, you know, get themselves elected again on the 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 standard party line ballots. I, I don't know. I don't know either. Uh... But it's it's bound to be problematic, uh, and it and it terrifies me because they mm-hmm. uh, they they seem capable at uh, at BATF to to <laughs> change the definition of words, uh, change the definition of firearms. I mean, I mean they they, they can invent any way uh, they choose to to come up with a <laughs> yeah a new rule. Although they are very creative. <laughs> All right. Well, here are some very creative commercial messages but we're going to come back and cover a little more ground like how to legally own a machine gun well that ought to be interesting that's next on Gary on Gun hey welcome glad to have you with us Potterhorn Guns and Archery with us and we got show and tell coming up we're going to talk about the shot show uh, but legally owning a machine gun uh, I I would love to own a machine gun would you, would you guys like to have one in your arsenal well, we we have some at the shop because we're we're an SOT and a, and a, uh, a manufacturer type seven dealer, so we we have some. Of course, I've got to play with them in my younger younger life, but uh, they are a lot of fun. Yeah, they're, I I don't think they're terribly practical. In fact, I think they're horribly impractical. <laughs> they're they're great for their use, their intended use, but we just don't have well, that. We, that doesn't come up very often. Well, see, here's the thing. For me, it's like the moment I squeeze that trigger and rounds come out, <laughs> I don't go. Well, a burst of three will do. Yeah. No, that's not fun. <laughs> no, I go until the magazine <laughs> is empty. $17 later. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, it's like, whoo, that was the best 30 seconds, I, you know, from start <laughs> to finish. Uh, but if you want to own one, uh, it's not really, uh, in, in terms of process, uh, a whole lot unlike uh, getting a suppressor, is it? It's the exact same thing. 
So <laughs> it's the exact same thing, costs the same amount of money, everything. So you, now, I for my wife uh, and I to get the suppressor, I I did uh, I I for I got a trust. I put together a trust. Uh, and then uh, filled out a bunch of papers. It cost a lot of money to to kind of get a lot more than I expected. Uh, I'll just say that. Yeah. If you go the trust route, it is quite a bit more expensive. But generally speaking, if you if you skip the trust and just go with the private transfer, then it's two hundred dollar tax. The the problem with not having the trust is if something happens to one of us and that that suppressor or NFA item uh, is not in the trust. You know, it's gone. Um, uh, the You actually get to hold on to it. Your family member talking to the NFA. The family member will have to apply if they want to keep it. They have to apply and pay the same $200 tax stamp. But they're allowed to maintain that during that process. Can they use it? They're allowed to maintain that during that process. Well, that's, that's a bit <laughs> ambiguous, isn't it? <laughs> well, I ain't a lawyer playing one, so that's, a, that's the best you're going to get from me. But it sounded like it. The NFA branch is way more tolerant than most. And I know they're getting hit on harder now, but gosh, they've been given, you know, 35 years worth of work to do with the uh, the pistol brace ban and and the and the, the 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 silencers becoming so popular, and of course the government not giving that branch any more money. Um, so they've they've got a whole lot of work they're trying to do. But I, I will say, when we've gotten a hold of them, which is hard to do, they've always been actually super helpful and super kind of like <laughs> low key, just yeah, whatever. So they, they've been easy. If uh, if your spouse has one and it's not in a trust and they pass away, can I take that to you and say, uh, "Here, I want to sell this"? Uh, no, you as an individual, you can, but I would have to, even as a dealer, get a two hundred dollar tax stamp. I'd have to pay the tax stamp and let and get permission and do all this stuff um, to to get you to transfer it back to me. Yeah, now, the, there is no real used market on those unless it's a, a high-end collectible, um, some of the early-day suppressors. And I guess I can't just throw it in the trash, can I? <laughs> I guess you can do anything you want. But, yeah, you'd have to tell them. You have to cut it in half and uh, and tell them. Otherwise, it just stays on the logs there. And uh, I don't think anybody ever really comes looking for them or looks through obituaries and things like that. But uh, it is it is, it is is a registered, quote-unquote, firearm at that point. What does NFA stand for? The National Firearms Act. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people don't know that. Um, the um, anyway, you, you've got this. Uh, I, the reason I want the trust is it's just easier. Yeah. Um, and once the trust is uh, is created and the, and the uh, uh, suppressor is in it, then I can just add my wife, and and we're covered. Anybody down the road? Anybody yeah. down the road? You just add or remove trustees as needed, and then they can uh, they can be in possession and and control. Yeah. Yeah, that works. So it is a good way to go. Yeah. Uh, actually, it'd be better if I didn't have to g- jump through any hoops. Uh, like I said, in some countries, you go into the hardware store and buy one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here, not so much. <laughs> so now I want to, you know, I want to uh, uh, buy this uh, fully automatic rifle. Yep. Can I buy one that's brand new? No. You have to be a government agency or entity to be able to purchase a new one. Can I identify as a government agency? <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, if if you can do that, Re- really, the the end around is if you can get yourself into the situation to have an FET uh, tax exempt certificate. Uh, so, like training organizations, that's how some of the police training organizations. That's how we had it when we were a police training organization. Um, you can also get one, but you have to you have to do a little bit of work for it. But no, there's there's no way you're going to get one unless you make one yourself. And so sh- now. 
this goes back uh, more than just a few years. I mean, they haven't sold a fully automatic weapon, brand new, uh, to American citizens since, what, 1980-something? 86. Yep. 1986. Uh, and that's when the Hughes Amendment uh, kicked in. Uh, so who wants to tell everybody about the Hughes Amendment? I don't know all that much about it other than they, they basically <laughs> banned the the transfer of NFA items uh, at that at that point. And it, it's... NFA items are still accessible. Your machine guns are still accessible. What it did is it just put the price of the ones that were in registered and in circulation or in private party ownership, it put the price of them through the roof. Well, there's this law in economics, and it is immutable. It is the law of supply and demand. And this is a glowing example. <laughs> yeah. If you can only buy uh, fully automatic weapons manufactured before this date, then it becomes more valuable every day. Absolutely. And in, in, in that case, it became valuable, greatly more valuable overnight. Because the, you can't make any more of them. Yeah. That's just the laws of supply and demand. So if I go into Powderhorn Guns and Archery, where you have a couple of these, and I want to buy one, mm -hmm. ballpark. Oh, it depends on the gun. You can get into some for five to 10000 on some cruddier ones that you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot they made those. And if you want to get something like a M4, you're looking ten to 25000 up if you get an older collectible one. Um, you want to get something like an MP5, you're going to be in that twenty five to 45000 So it's, it's a lot. You can get to, there's plenty. You go on GunBroker right now, and you will see plenty available. Um, it's just as long as you got the money. But usually somewhere between five and ten thousands where where normally they start for one that can be owned by any individual. See now I was uh, I was old enough, yeah, I know, no big surprise. Uh, when this law passed, had I known that this was going on, I would have you know applied for one because it would have been one hell of an investment. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> darn tootin'. So if you want a full automatic weapon uh, in addition to the trust and all the other hoops. Have a lot of money. <laughs> Show and tell us next on Gary on Guns.